0: everybody, St. Paul here, and I am so excited. I've got musical royalty on the show today. Ivan Neville is next on Music on a Run. Before we get started here, do me a favor. Wherever you got this podcast, make sure you subscribe, give us a rating, and if you have time and like what you're hearing, make sure you write a review. It really helps us get the word out so we can have a lot more people coming to the party. Hey everybody, I'm St. Paul Peterson. Prince gave me that nickname, and I've been lucky enough to tour with people like the Steve Miller Band, Kenny Loggins, Peter Frampton, Donny Osmond, to name a few. And when I'm not playing music, I love to run. And this is a podcast about how we stay healthy on the road, physically, mentally, and with our families. Welcome to Music on the Run. Hey everybody, St. Paul here. Welcome to episode 44 of Music on the Run. Hey, I want to continue with my gratitude segment. I want to highlight a couple of the people who financially help us put on this program. They're called patrons, okay? And you're probably going, what the heck is that? Patron, those are the people who help us out. They get a little something in return. They get some swag. You know, they got a little Music on the Run swag. But really, they help us cover the cost of putting this thing on. websites. Um, everything that has to go into this. If you want to go check that out and you want to become a part of the Music on the Run team, please go to www.patreon.com forward slash music on the run podcast. I want to give a big shout out to our $10 a month patrons, Miles Matisse and Ron Carbone. You guys have been with us since the beginning, and I want to say thank you. We could not do this podcast without you and one more little gratitude segment i want to shout out to the motor team my producer david da- david david Rosso. russell i do know him actually <laughs> tanner montague who does all the video editing and owen sartori for their dedication to the motor team man again i couldn't do pull this off uh, without you so really thankful for you all right let's move on to my guest today this guy is part of a musical dynasty. He's a multi-instrumentalist, an artist, a singer, songwriter, and a complete badass. He's played or recorded with the Nevels, uh, Bonnie Raitt, Don Henley, the Rolling Stones, and has his own band called Dumpster Funk. Please welcome my buddy, Ivan Neville.
1: Ivan! Thank you. Thank you. How you doing? What an amazing um, intro there. Thank you very much. <laughs> hey,
0: yeah? you paid me to say all that. Oh, yeah, right. All right. yeah. Man, how how you doing? It's I saw you what was that about a month ago in New York? Yes, yes, at the Love Rocks Hang. What it what is exactly is that for people who don't know what Love Rocks is?
1: That's for it's an organization called God's Love We Deliver, I believe.
0: Right.
1: Mm-hmm. And they um they've been providing meals and help to people that could possibly not get to a meal or um, or not very mobile mobile you might say people that are either homeless stuck somewhere very ill or um, just can't uh, move around too much so they that's uh, an organization that provides meals and stuff like that for those that are uh, can't get to
0: so the funny story is is that I Uh, previously to the last time that I saw you, I saw you the year before at that same concert. I was doing a show down the street at Iridium. You and my big brother Ricky and all the cats were doing a show um, at the same theater. And this was the night or the day or the week we find out that COVID was a thing. COVID! The original COVID. March. March, what was that? March
1: of 2020.
0: Yeah. And it
1: was to be exact, it was around the tenth, eleventh, twelfth of March. Yep. And it was right when uh the COVID the word had gotten out mm-hmm. that there's this thing that's uh pretty bad and could make you sick and possibly kill you called right. COVID nineteen. And we had just really found out kind of about it, and that the night before the show that we were going to do and you were planning on doing a show in New York as well. Right. So another, a, a separate gig you were playing. I played down the
0: street at the Iridium. Yeah. Cause they had right, canceled right, Broadway right. that day. It canceled.
1: So that, no. So on the, the gig ended up happening on the 12th on the night of the 11th, everybody's hanging out in the lobby of that hotel, the art house there. hotel What's and there? everybody got notifications on their phone Phones that the NBA had shut down. Ooh. The NBA, and right. I don't think they get enough um, talk of. They were the they were the first major organization to shut it down. Right. The NBA, and this was before there was any mandates of any kind. Right. The NBA shut down. Yeah, that's and we were like, people wow, and that kind of got everybody's attention. And the, the the gig that we were that we did the next night, they turned it into. It was supposed to be maybe three thousand people in there in the Beacon Theater. They turned into into a streaming event for friends and family. I think they had a couple two three hundred people in there, but still, I was there, yep. and so was your brother Ricky and and many others. And when I got home that week, uh, that weekend Friday by Sunday, I had fever. Oh, no. I had a fever. Uh, The missus, uh, the boss of the house, she instructed me to go and buy a proper thermometer because we've been hearing more and more about this COVID thing. And um, I bought the best thermometer in the pharmacy, that particular drugstore I went to. I'm like, I want the best one. I want to make sure. But I was scared because I felt kind of weird. I Mm. felt a little odd. And I knew I was going to have fever. I, I swear to God, I knew it. And we took uh, my my son. He's who who was um, he was six at the time. He's now seven. Um, we we, we took all of our temperatures, and I had fever. I was about a hundred and something plus, and I was cast to the back room, right over there. I was mm-hmm. I, I was sent to the back room, isolated from the rest of the house, and I um started feeling sick, like really bad. And fever got worse. I had fever upwards of 103, 102.9, a couple times. Lost appetite completely. I was I was laid I was laid out, I was laid out pretty bad. Um, I mean, I, is this a, is this a G-rated show?
0: Because you could swear it's bought off. This is I, your I'm going
1: Well, I was laid out like a two-dollar crackle, All right, that's how I, <laughs> <laughs> that's how bad I was back there in, in the in the back room. <laughs> I was, I was, I was bad and I couldn't eat. I had fever. I, they wouldn't test me for a minute. I didn't get tested for about the first eight or nine days. I finally got tested. Okay. I did. I was diagnosed with double pneumonia. Oh. And those of you who don't know double is that's pneumonia in both of your lungs. Right. And, um, yeah. And so I had that, and then I would—they wouldn't test me twice. I got turned down to be tested because when I happened to go to get tested, mind you, it was early on, so they weren't—they weren't trying to test anyone unless you seemed severely ill. Right. So they weren't wasting the tests on someone that maybe looked somewhat healthy. I didn't look at the t- at that point. I and and it just so happened when I went to get tested, I my temperature was normal. Oh. it took my temperature right. 98.6 and said we're not testing you I wasn't coughing up a lung or anything like that but mm-hmm. I did have pneumonia Right, and um, I was really bad for a couple of weeks I finally got tested and I was positive positive. and the, to get the test results back took about another 8 days so I saw 2 or 3 different doctors and they all none of them knew exactly what to tell me except that I just assumed that I had the COVID. Right. And they said, you should assume you have it. Because I took the flu, the influenza test. I didn't have flu.
0: Okay. So
1: we were assuming that I had COVID. So stay your ass in that back room and don't go around anybody else. Which I ended up, it was too late. My household, oh, we got the COVID in the house. All right.
0: Keep going.
1: And um, <clears throat> the boss lady got, got the COVID, but she... Her version was not as bad as my mine was, but I was so pitiful, I didn't really notice how sick she really was because she was looking after me. So this pretty much lasted for about six weeks. And it COVID, gradually COVID. got better. Wow. And I had the difficulty breathing at certain at a certain point. The fever went away. I got my appetite back. And um, I, I did, I, I, it, it, was, it was at that point where I got the shortness of breath. So it oh. didn't all happen, all, everything at one time for me. And by the way, the whole, the whole time, my oxygen levels were pretty low. but like in the 70s or some shit like wow. that. So I was lucky and someone provided me with an oxygen machine at mm. my house. So I was able to utilize that and that helped me get through it and helped me to not, I avoided having to go to a hospital and be admitted to a hospital because I had my own oxygen machine at the, at the house. Wow. And yeah, so it was about a six-week ordeal from March the 15th. I finally got tested. I tested negative on May the 5th. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and by I got to tell you, the last two or three weeks of it was really scary because I was feeling progressively better, mostly. But I would go a couple of days where I would feel better. And then I'd go a day where I wouldn't feel better. I'd felt worse.
0: Hmm. So
1: that was scary. It was an up and down kind of um, get better thing. Like, so by, gradually I did get better. But there would be a couple of days here and there where I would progressively feel better, and then i
0: yeah.
1: it was like I was backslide or some shit, and then right. mentally it was fucking me up. Mentally, right. I was I had brain brain fog. Whoa. I couldn't rem- remember the, f- the code to my phone. My phone got uh, disabled and shit like that. I was all groggy and shit. Whoa. It was pretty gnarly, man. And then got got through it. And I, I, I pray, pray. I mean, I, I thank God. I mean, I, I was scared. I was absolutely petrified. And then I would be stuck in that back room. I was looking at the news, which I would try to. At some point, I'd be like, maybe you should not watch the news as much because that wasn't helping me seeing all no. this shit going on and watching all these people being hospitalized and people right. dying. And sh- I was scared to shit. Yeah,
0: Believe I bet me. you were. Yeah. Have you ever but, been that no, sick in your life? No, i never, nah,
1: no, nothing like that. Nothing like that ever. And the funny thing was, I, my, my, my lady told me to start doing these streaming shows and I was sick, right? So yeah. this is like about a week and a half, two weeks in, she started seeing people do these stream shows and she said, you should do them because we don't know when, you know, we don't know when next time you're going to work or anything like that. Right. So I started doing streaming shows for my, for my, my room. I got a room in, in over there, we call it the sunroom. And that's where I should be sitting now, but I'm not. There's some cool shit in the background. We got the
0: the little Also known as Paul time. Peterson's extra bedroom, right? <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> so no I'm I'm I'm, I'm right, I'm, I'm kind. Of, I'm in the kitchen right now, right off of the, the, the back room, the extra room. But I started doing streaming performances mm-hmm. and so singing for an hour. Yeah. It did wear wear me out because after I would do a, a live stream show for an hour, I would be absolutely exhausted, right. but it was helping me to exercise my lungs. Mm, therapy. Cause I had, I had read up about that and about how to fight pneumonia, which was part of my, my experience with COVID. I had the pneumonia, like I told you earlier. And so doing breathing exercises and the singing helped me. Yeah. And gradually when I felt good enough, I'd start taking walks around the block and shit like
0: that. Yeah. Whoa, what a journey.
1: Man. Yeah. So yeah, but but now what's crazy is I'm kind of, <laughs> I don't forget that shit again. I'm like,
0: you no. know, this shit's still out there. <laughs> yes, it's just, it's just totally reforming and-, and, it's and mutating and
1: all on. of that kind of crap. But oh. hey, the good news is we got to play some music recently. And yeah. we're still playing a little music, but let's hope people can realize. Listen, if you want to be safe and you don't want to die or have any of your family members get uh, deathly ill, <laughs> get your get your health get get your health right. Do what you got to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, in my well, case, man. I mean, I had the COVID, so I had the natural antibodies. I also got vaccinated as well. So got it. You know, I I might have a double dose of protect, protection. Let's hope that's the case,
0: but. I'll tell you, man. We're, I'm sure glad that you're okay. I know you went through it. You and I, yeah. we talked on the phone about that, and whoo, that's a that's yeah, a, a scary deal. And I'm glad you pulled that through. Was something, yeah. All right, so it's time to talk a little bit about the things you and I have in common. First of all, you and I both love funk. Second of yes, all, we do. We both come from musical families. You got yeah. tell me about your family. What was it like growing up in Uh, your family? Pretty cool.
1: Growing up with um, my dad and my uncles all being musicians.
0: Just because people may not know who your dad or your uncles are, would you mind explaining who that is? My dad
1: is Aaron Neville and my uncles are Cyril Neville and Art Neville and Charles Neville, those two who are no longer with us. Mm. That's crazy that I have to preface by saying that Whoa, I know. two of the Neville brothers are no longer with us That's in terrible. the physical, but um, they're
0: still, sure, they're in here. They're in here. Yes, they are. Whenever you that. hear
1: me sing or play anything, they're right there with me all the time. Um, so it was pretty awesome seeing those guys do what they were doing when I was a little kid watching them cats, man. And I got to see other people around, like Alan Tucson. Hmm. Dr. John, to name a couple, you know, um, Willie T, oh, yeah, uh, could go on and on. Uh, yeah, and The Meters, my uncle had a band called The Meters, mm-hmm. which is arguably one, one of the greatest funk outfits to come out of New Orleans or anywhere else for that matter. Yes, sir. Um, and, you know, that was pretty cool coming from that stuff, you know, and figuring out that I wanted to play music at a certain point around 15 years old or something like that. And I loved music way before that, you know, know, because I was listening to it and I was watching them do what they were doing, but I was listening to the radio and that's uh, probably one of the coolest things about being um, uh, my age, which I'm 61 years old. Hey, you made it. And you made it. I got to grow up listening to that music in the late 60s, early 70s. My favorite period was between 69 and 77.
0: Yeah.
1: The shit that came up. No, but then there's a little, because some other shit. I, the late 70s too, because that's mm-hmm. when Prince. I know. 78 was when I first heard of Prince. Oh, yeah. And I know your connection in the Minneapolis uh, funk situation and all of that shit. So... Say, to, to, I'm just saying that to say that period and, and and that music was was inspired. The people that made uh, like Prince and people like that were inspired by that other shit as well. Of course, as you James can hear. inspired Fire, by Sly, James Brown, slide and Family Stone, yes. all the yes. P-Funk shit, all oh, of that yeah. stuff. So you know that's where we get all our shit from. From that that era, to me was a special time to be listening to the radio. And you went and found, you went and found the shit. It wasn't like how music's so readily available right now. You can go on your phone or on the computer and go yeah. find anything that exists. But back then you had this, if you want to listen to the radio, you had to seek that shit out.
0: Yes, you did. You know,
1: And it was some fun times, man. And to be from the Neville family in New Orleans, mm. seeing all these bands. And then there were times when I got a little special treatment here and there when bands would come through town. You know, I would. I was able to get in a couple of shows
0: right. that
1: maybe some of my friends weren't able to get into,
0: <laughs> things like that.
1: <laughs> but I remember, I remember the stuff that really uh, got caught my attention, you know, and there was a couple of concerts that come to mind right off the bat. Tell me about them. One of, one of them was, I went to see War, and opening up for War was Tower of Power. Oh, All right. And now, and the funny, the fun thing about that particular show, I went with my dad. I must've been, this must've been 1975, somewhere around there, 75 or, yeah, 74, 75. And Wall, Wall was really huge. Wall Mm. was big. Wall had all the hits. Cisco Kid. Mm. It's Slipping in the Darkness. Um, all of this cool music, um, The World is a Ghetto. They had a lot of stuff. Their repertoire was pretty thick, and there were a lot of familiar songs that were popular. And they had a unique thing. They had a unique kind of islandy, kind of funky, kind of uh, Latino. It was all kind of mixtures and shit in that war sound. Gumbo. Yeah, they had a gumbo shit going on. And the funny thing was, I went to that show with my dad. Me and my dad, one of his buddies, and that was the cool thing about going to it as well. I was no more than 14 years old or something like that. 14, maybe 15. Perfect age. And at the time, my mom and dad were were not together. And so to go hang out with my dad was special during those couple, two, three years. You know, that kind of thing happens when the dynamic of the family is kind of fragile and kind of you know, a little injured. So me and the dad spending quality time and then we went to a concert and we went to see war. Now, lo and behold, we had heard of the opening band, Tower of Power, cause they had the song, So Very Hard to Go, was the only song we really were familiar with. That was a big hit song on the radio. So very hard to go.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. You remember
1: that shit. Oh yeah. And, and so the funny thing was war came on first. And they were so fucking badass. And they were so funky. Rocco with that fucking them bass lines and oh, yeah. rhythm, the rhythms and the horns, you know, tower of power. Tower, tower power. Of power. Well,
0: they went up tower went on first. They
1: went on first. Okay. And it was hard. And they wore them out. War. Yeah. War had all the hits, but it was like, damn, Whoa. what can you fucking do after
0: that? Garibold and that and, was the lesson learned. Ooh, huh? Garibaldi and Rocco.
1: Yeah, and Rocco on base and shit, and Emilio and Doc and all the cats. Mm-hmm. That was the lesson to be learned. Like, damn, you don't want to play after Tower of Power.
0: <laughs> so that was one and of the big influences. That was on made you a big impact a on
1: me. That yeah. and, and, and seeing that happen. And I mean, I love the wall still. Oh yeah, the band wall, but Tower of Power was stomping. Mm. And I hadn't heard that type of funk at that point. So that was, that was killer, you know? So that was some Bay Area funk, you know? Yeah, People so, don't know, but...
0: I was going to ask you, and I was going to ask you later, but that's a perfect transition, man. There are so many different brands of funk. Dude! You got some Oakland yes. funk. You got some yes. New Orleans funk. You got some Memphis funk. You've got some Minneapolis funk. Some What's Ohio the
1: funk. Be- Ohio, Ohio.
0: Thank you for yeah. including that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I know yeah. I'm gonna leave out a region.
1: Fucking Dayton, Ohio, and Cincinnati with Bootsy and fucking slave and yes, Ohio players and all that right. shit. Dude, no, so that shit, that was that 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 hit me really hard. Now, I didn't know I was gonna I I started playing music like not that long after that. I started playing piano. Got it. Um and my dad taught me a couple of songs. He could play a little bit of piano. He taught me a little couple of tunes. And I started listening to the radio and learning songs off the radio. That's pretty much it. And then this, this amazing piano player, um, probably the baddest piano player man I'd ever heard in my life at that point and to this day. I've still not heard anyone that is as bad as James Booker. Oh, James Booker was a bad man on the piano. He was a family friend. He went to grade school with my dad. He went to high school with my mom. And he used to come by the house every so often. He'd stop by the house. Something like maybe a couple times a year, maybe James Booker would show up. And it'd be be an event. Because he'd come and he'd have to... My mom would definitely make him go sit by the piano and play. And he had a knack for taking... He was classically trained and he had a knack for taking some classical shit and putting a funky barrel house, boogie, woogie, Hmm. funky knuckle New Orleans feel to anything. He was amazing. Like Dr. John, if you were alive right now and you probably if you could hear some excerpts from him talking, I'm sure you will hear him talking about James Booker.
0: No kidding.
1: Bad. Yeah. Bad dude. So anyway, he taught me a couple little things. I didn't. I can't play that Booker type of piano, but he taught me one song, and that song was called a uh, Big Chief, and All that's right. a Professor Professor Longhair song. Okay. And if you're a New Orleans piano player, you must know how to play that song. And my the version I learned was from James Booker, man. And the unique thing about that song is it's a piano player's tune. But everybody plays it slightly different. Mm-hmm. Like if you were to hear Dr. John's version, or Alan Toussaint's version, or my Uncle Art's version, or Booker's version, or Professor Longhair, who was the original, that was his song. All of them played it slightly different. Hmm. And it's a funny thing when you listen to the little subtle nuances, how they tricked it out and everybody put their own thing to it. And this is true today
0: for themselves, right?
1: Yes, everybody takes takes it and makes it their own little thing. And if the the guys that are
0: playing, huh? That's what we do when we when we learn from our mentors. We take it all
1: in. Yeah, yeah. So that's a cool. That's a cool one. That's a cool thing. Now, now, I'm gonna tell you, since we, um, I'm in the presence of um, Minneapolis royalty. You know, you are from the Peterson family and from the. The the, uh, the 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 Paisley Park family, the Prince family, all that shit. <laughs> uh, that, hey, I'm serious. I'm serious. Hey, when I heard, I'm gonna. I think this was 1979. It might have been 79. When I heard Prince with his first band, with the first group. That was touring. It was with Andre Simone. Oh yeah. Des Dickerson on guitar mm. and the rest of them. The rest of them were there. Lisa, yep. Lisa Coleman, and, and Matt Fink and Bobby Z. Bobby Z. And, yeah, and, you named and, them um, all, man. Yeah, Andre and Des Dickerson. That when I, I heard them play, dude, that was the best sounding live band I've ever fucking heard up to that mm-hmm. point. Oh, and yeah. I'm talking about the sound. And it wasn't like, you know how when you, when you have a record and you want to present the record, but you a lot of times you can't really totally duplicate that sound live and it translate, so you make it its own thing live. Mm-hmm. Well, Prince, Prince they play, he played all those instruments, sure but did. everybody in that band sounded like him. And when I went and saw them play, the first time at the Sanger Theater in New Orleans, I mm-hmm. was blown a fucking way. I was like, wow. Oh, yeah. Listen how this sounds. And you know, I was t- I was totally impressed. Now, that, I gotta tell you, the next time I saw him, the time opened up. Oh, speaking of opening
0: acts, stealing the thunder. Yes. We're gonna take a little break from the interview right now because I wanna tell you about a couple of really cool things. First of all, we're having so much fun with our weekly one-minute funk jams called Funk Friday. We've had so many world-class musicians on Funk Friday, including members of the Steve Miller Band, Fleetwood Mac, Daryl Hall and John Oates, Earthwind and Fire, just to name a few. You can check that out on all of our social media, but you can also see it on our YouTube channel. I also want to take this opportunity to thank all of our members who have supported us on Patreon. Don't know what Patreon is? Go to www.patreon.com forward slash music on the run podcast. And there you'll get all sorts of information on how you can financially help us produce this podcast. There are all kinds of incentives listed there on the website, and there are many different levels on how you can become involved. We could not put on this podcast without our patrons. All right, let's get back to the interview. Oh, speaking of opening acts, stealing the thunder. Yes, the time opened up and the time
1: stopped him. They wore him out. <laughs> the time they, they, did the same thing that the Tom Power did, did the war. They That's did it. that to Prince and I was like, God damn.
0: Can you imagine what yeah. Prince was going like? I've created a
1: monster. Yeah, right, right, right. And, he and I did. heard stories about that. I heard, I heard, I was at a, some event. I heard uh, Jimmy Jam tell a lot of stories about some of that stuff and some oh, of those times yeah. with Prince. And I was like, okay, yeah. After hearing him tell the stories, I can imagine because he didn't like them opening up like in certain markets. I think like LA, he didn't let them open up. He would pull so Maybe some pull maybe New York.
0: <laughs> he would do that, yeah. Because <laughs> he he didn't want he didn't want that but much competition. He liked that extra money coming in, but he was like, Right. Wait a minute now. Hold they on. <laughs> funky. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, what did I do here? Man. So yeah. you're a you're a kid, you're getting all these influences, you're in you know, you're in an incredibly Uh, prolific family, cousins, uncles, all this stuff. Was there ever a time when you said, you know, this isn't for me? Or did you ever think you were going to do anything else other than music? Uh, No. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I hear that. No,
1: I did not. I did not. I never, and I mean, maybe part of it was out of maybe laziness, because I didn't really... uh, Prepare to learn <laughs> anything else to do. <laughs> so like, what the fuck else am I going to do? And now there's golly, the truth, ladies know, and gentlemen. No, but no, it was a, for a long time. I did have a sideline. Tell me about that. We call that it more segment the
0: side gigs. What was the, the sideline? Side, no,
1: my sideline, it was very destructive. It was getting high. And, oh. <laughs> getting loaded. It was doing drugs and shit.
0: Oh. And drinking like a
1: fish. It was that were, stuff. You, but you got really good at it, didn't you? That was my hobby. I was pretty, (laughs) I was too good at that. Yeah. And it took over. Yeah. It took over a little bit and- You got your party card revoked, didn't you? It started making the music kind of suffer a little bit. No kidding. A lot. Yeah, and then um, at a certain point, I started uh, dancing with the idea of maybe I should stop doing that shit. And mm. I went on about an eight-year or so period where I tried to stop. Yeah. And I went to treatment centers. And I think starting in like 1989. And and I had gone, but by this point, I had we had done the first, Wino. Uh, I'd done a record with Keith Richards with the Winos. i played on a Stones record in like in the in the mid '80s. Yep. And I had seen that that side of music meets get high and shit and mm-hmm. that stuff. And you know, um I took it to 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 the extreme. I I really did. And I started going to treatment centers in eighty nine and my last one, number six, was in nineteen ninety eight. And that was that was it. And I haven't had a drug or a drink since then. To be exact, August 14th. Congratulations, man. That's, you know. Next month will be 23 years.
0: 23 years.
1: 23 years. Nice little run. Yeah.
0: It's funny because I remember seeing you on that tour with Keith and Charlie. In Europe. In, in Europe. Because I was playing with David, David Sandler and my brother. Yes. Yes. We partied in the hotel lobby. Yes. we yes. were. Oh, that's got to hurt. I mean, I barely yes. remember that. Yes, yeah, I remember that. I do remember that. Yeah, I do too, man. We were little younger then.
1: We were very much younger, and I was pretty for that tour. Now I got. I must say, that tour I had a blast.
0: Yeah, I know. would
1: not tell anyone that I didn't have fun doing some of that stuff. Right. I had a fun. I had some fun times. Right, but at a certain point, the misery and the soul sickness that I um, went on to feel. Far outweighed any fun that I was going to ever have. And then obviously the fun got less and less and less and less. Right. And the consequences and the misery got greater and greater. Mm. And it didn't even up. It didn't make it worth doing, you know, like, okay, this yeah. little 10 minutes of fun I might have, is it worth feeling like shit for a long period of time? Because mm. that's what yeah. it became. It became in search of that feeling and that feeling of any kind of euphoria would maybe five, 10 fucking minutes of hours and hours and days of obsession about it. Right. Obsessing and searching for it. Trying to find that perfect little blend of shit that was never to come.
0: Yeah. It takes over your life. It's too much
1: work. Yeah. No, absolutely. (laughs) It's much easier this way.
0: (laughs) Right. So your sobriety, man, that, that's first of all, that's encouraging and I appreciate you telling that portion of your story. My my fans of the show know that I've been sober since ninety-nine as well. And I think it's important to just give perspective on what that is and what made you quit <clears throat> and how is your life? I guess the next question would be how is your music better? Okay. Because you're sober. The
1: music is oh, the music is a whole nother It's a whole nother something that I never even could have wildly imagined because I actually feel stuff for real. And every nervousness and uh, uh, insecurity, all that stuff, the vulnerability, it's all there. And that's all part of being a human being. And I accept it. And there's times when I feel amazing. Yeah. There's times when I feel peaceful. Yeah. There's times when I feel really good. And there's times when I don't feel so good. Well, yeah. But you (laughs) you experience all that. It's just not as drastic. The ups and downs are not as drastic as they used to be. And that's the major part. The major part is that I'm mostly comfortable in my own skin most of the time. And the highs are not as high, where the ego is not as, as ruling and, and, and dominant. The highs are not as high, and the lows are not as low. Right. So it's hills instead of mountains and dungeons.
0: You get to deal <laughs> with hills. with life. It's Little easier hills. to deal, huh? isn't it?
1: It's life. It's just life. And then right. you, you get you're happy sometimes, and sometimes right. you're okay. And sometimes you're all right, but most of the time, you're comfortable in your own skin. Yeah. And to me, that's the biggest miracle of all of it, you know? And then you're able to, to, to remain teachable ah, and to keep learning. Teachable, and being to,
0: teachable. Yes. That is so important what you said there because that's a life lesson that this planet needs to focus in on, being yeah, teachable. Yeah. In all aspects, in social justice,
1: everything,
0: everything.
1: I want to learn, and if I don't know, I'm going to ask the question. Don't be afraid to ask the question. If I don't know what that word means, I'm going to ask. What does that mean? I'm not sure what, what that means. Thank you. And there's a, I get that a lot from younger. Not to, uh, to to brag on younger, the young, the next generations to come in and you know. But I, I'm. Associated with my, some of my younger brothers that I play music with and stuff like that mm-hmm. and a lot of times they, they don't know that there's no such thing as a dumb question sometimes they would rather they would rather so, pretend they know something they think it's uncool to admit that they don't know something that, and that, no that's right it's uncool to pretend you know some shit you don't know hey, thank you. because then you'll never know <laughs> right just
0: just say help. Right. <laughs> yeah, Right. Yeah. You know, well, one of the cool things that we get because of your sobriety is that you can continue to, to make smart, important, funky rock records with great musicianship. Tell me a little bit about your band, Dumpster Funk, and the new yeah, record, because I'm going to talk about okay. some of the stuff you're talking about on there. That's important yeah, you for you and I yeah. to talk about.
1: Yeah. Okay, so... um the, the dumpster funk. Um, so I know these two guys. Uh, one's name's Nick Daniels III and one's name's Tony Hall. Now, I, I got an opportunity to play a gig around a while ago. Two, early 2000s, maybe 2003 to perform at the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival. Festival, And um, I was like, you know what, I want to maybe play this show and maybe put together a band. And Who am I going to call to play this kid? I said, you know, I think I'm going to call my little cousin Ian because he's an aspiring little funky guitar player. I'm going to get him. Hmm. Um, I think I'm going to get this guy Raymond Weber to play drums. And who am I going to get on bass? Is it going to be Tony Hall or Nick Daniels? And then I was thinking to myself, and I immediately thought of about two or three songs that you could have two basses on. And I know both of those guys sing like mm. nobody's business. So I'm going to call both of them. So I call Tony <laughs> and Nick. Two bass And Tony, players. yes. So Tony also plays guitar. So I knew there would be some songs we can incorporate a two bass thing. And sometimes Tony would play guitar. And that was the beginning of Dumpster Farm. Now ah. we've, and I, I knew those guys. I knew Nick since I was maybe 10 years old. And I knew Tony since I was maybe 15 or 16 years old. So these are guys that I've known and our musical paths have been kind of linked over the years. Being from New Orleans, coming from, they they both have a lineage to the Nevels and the Meters and stuff like that. So that that's what that that ba- that that initial um, uh, core band uh, that we call Dumpster Funk, That was the beginning of that, and it was a side project. And until we, it ended up being our our our, our full time uh, job was playing with dumpster funk. That was our bread and butter gig, and we were um, lucky enough to to, uh, to make a couple of records, and get a and have a couple of uh, shows that were talked about enough amongst this new breed of audience, and it was called the jam scene. It's what I've. Right. We were, I found out about these a lot of kids that go that that are music lovers that like good music. Whether you are popular in mainstream or not, if you got some good music and you you know you you could maybe find an audience. So we found an audience in this little in this pocket of uh, of, of music lovers, and um, we've been hanging out, man. We've been hanging out for quite a while, and the funny thing was this past couple years. Some tragic things happened that really uh, gave that band momentum. And one of them was Hurricane Katrina. Mm-hmm. That kind of kicked us in the butt where we had no other choice but to go out and play and, and uh, figure out what we were doing. And the, 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 the possibility of New Orleans as a place, as a, as a state of mind, being absolutely destroyed from a, a natural disaster was on everybody's mind. So New right. Orleans musicians were, in turn, much appreciated around the world.
0: Right. And so who better, we, who better oh, to go out and play but you?
1: Post Katrina, we went out and played, and we were representing. And you people were, representing. were digging it, and that kind of helped us build uh, this thing uh, even more so. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna fast forward to. Now, this recent times, so we got the pandemic come up on us, so like we were talking about when we first started talking, when I saw you a year ago, a little over a year ago now, and then yeah. we saw each other again this past March in New York again at the scene of the crime. Yes, during that last year and a half or so, we had time to um, <laughs> we had a lot of time on our hands, right? <laughs> yes, we had a we lot did. of time, and so a too much we time. had some. We had some music that we had been developing over the couple years prior, Mm. but we hadn't put it together as far as let's make a record. We were just recording stuff over when we had time off. We'd go in the studio, record a song, record two songs, and maybe two months or six months later, we'd record another couple of songs. So we ended up listening. We like, you know what? We got a bunch of stuff. We got a few things that need to be finished. Uh, we need to finish writing a couple of th- things. But well, we have some stuff that we could go. We, we got a record. Yeah. Let's start putting this together. And we had the time to do it. So we did. We went and did all the stuff you do to put, you know, we went and comped a bunch of stuff. And yep. edited this and that. And We, we um, actually recorded a couple of things during the pandemic. We got together and recorded a, a couple of things that we had been playing on the shows prior. One song in particular was a remake of a Buddy Miles song it's called yep. "United Nations Stomp,"
0: and that was a song
1: it. that that yeah, that was a song we felt you know what people need to hear this song. And it was kind of an obscure Buddy Miles song It that like wasn't you know. like it's you made it yours. No, it does. It was one we were able to make our our own oh. thing. We we're like, okay, let's play this one. Mm-hmm. And we had another song that was called Where Do We Go From Here? And we thought that was so coincidental that, oh, look where we're at now. And the words to that song and the meaning of behind the song meant so much more now. Yeah. So we, it ended up being the title track, Where Do We Go From Here? And it made so much sense when we put that record out this
0: past April. Well, and me, um, I'm going to commend go you on something. I don't mean to interrupt you, but what you did go with ahead. that for me as a Listener is that you dealt with social issues in a way that was positive, and how to move forward through in my in, in my opinion education being teachable and being funky. Yeah, the way you approached that I thought was so beautiful, man. And and you still want people to move. And you still have a message to give, but the way you delivered that was so great. And so I commend you guys on that record. I'm, I had such a ball researching this interview with you.
1: Oh, so, man, thank uh, you, Bob. So thank great. you. It means a lot coming from you, brother. It means oh, a lot, come on. man. Oh, well, I you just... know, the, thing, the, funny, the funny thing about it was, you know, um, we a lot of times, like we had the one song that we rebooted. It was a song that we had released four or so years ago.
0: Justice. And it
1: was because of the, yes, that song. Yeah. And things had been happening, you know, the things that happened this past summer, in last backyard. year, in the summer. Right there. Yes. Uh, uh, yes. Yes. George Floyd. That's right. In Minnesota. Right. 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 Around your way. For an way. example.
0: Yeah. I mean, there was exactly. many other things. Of, of one of me.
1: one of the many others, the Breonna Taylor's of the, of the, of the world and, mm-hmm. and, and, and so so on. Um, you know, uh, it, it meant a lot to reboot that song. and We got our, our man Charlie Tuna from Jurassic Five to put a rap on it. Yeah. And maybe Very make it cool, a little more current if we could and we did a video for it. it was it made sense. Now I'm going to tell you the one song on that record that I'm kind of proud of is the one song that I probably of all of those songs it was a it's a song that I would never actually try to record. You know how there's certain songs that you just you know what I'm not going to mess with that.
0: I bet you we won't did the right one. Let me see. You we say did, it no.
1: We did one on this record. I don't know you can't, that original version of that song, you you can't do that. But uh, vocally, I think we captured the essence of it, and I think musically we did all right. And I'm talking about the Sly and the Family Stone song yes, in sir. Time.
0: Exactly what that I was going to say.
1: That's one you don't mess with. Normally, I would never cut something like that. And I try you to
0: honored that beautifully, man. I thought we kind of did, and I felt oh, pretty cool did. about that. Yes. Yeah. Just because in the essence of time... <clears throat> because we both have to hop off. I know you got stuff going on and I actually have a gig coming up. So Oh, well, you got to go play you, man. You have been on the road for a lot of your life. You're 61 years old now. Give the listeners an idea of what being healthy means to you. Being healthy? Yeah. <laughs> Cuz well, here's oh my the deal. This yeah. show is called okay. Music on the Run and we yes, focus you know on how you stay healthy in your relationships. Yes. On the road, eating whatever. What does that mean to you?
1: It it is it is the most important thing, and I'm talking the 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 physical and the mental,
0: Mm.
1: both. And to some degree, there's there's some aspects of it that go hand in hand. But then there's you know sometimes you 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 dealt a, a bad a bad card and. You might get some, you know, you might get a hold of something that's you have no control of, and that happens in life. But if you have any way to, I mean, the control that you do have, um, you just got to really do your best to um, to practice learning how to be good to yourself
0: hmm.
1: and knowing that, okay, like I appreciate my mental health so much right now because because of some of the things that we were talking about and to get through it's so frustrating in life to to feel up to, hang on one second. <laughs> one second.
0: <laughs> ladies and gentlemen we'll be right back after this brief commercial message don't forget about patreon.com forward slash music podcast hang on. Uh-oh. what did I do okay oh I just um, I just did a commercial in there. It's totally fine.
1: Oh, you did? Okay, that's good. That's yeah, good. That was now, something's on the stove. <laughs> I had to turn it off. It started boiling. <laughs> yeah. Don't burn the food, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> hey, so, um, no. So, having to, having to travel and having to go, uh, being around, um, uh, especially in this day and age now, too, especially, you got to be extra careful about a, a lot of things that you maybe took for granted before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that in itself, and, and and like I was talking about the mental, the mental side of it, you, you know, being grounded, being grounded, and and um, finding some sort of one of the main things for me is usually if I'm thinking about myself, I'm usually off. I'm usually off, and I'm I'm susceptible to some bullshit. Hmm. But when I'm when I'm thinking of what can I do to help, what can I do to be a better guy in this hmm. house, what can I do to be a better player with my uh, my uh, compadres playing music and whatnot? When I'm thinking like that, I'm usually in a very cool place, hmm. and mentally, it's just it's, it's it's it strengthens me, and it makes me uh, acknowledge gratitude. And it and it and it and it it enables me to be living more in humility and and shit like that. And it just helps me to just stay grounded and to just be cool and to know that don't expect I'm not looking for some fucking you know, I'm I've got some short term goals and I'm gonna try to attain them and uh, I'm gonna just try to do the next right thing. And it seems to kind of work out. And I've learned, I've I've tried to figure out my eating habits, eat better stuff at at my age. If I want to hang around for a while, I got to eat a little bit better.
0: Yeah.
1: I got to drink more water. I got to eat more stuff that's green. Yeah. You know, I I can't be eating at night. You know, just little thing. I just recently discovered the not eating at night thing. Hmm. That's and hard to do. That for- That's discipline. No, you know what? It's hard on it's very hard on the road because your hours are so messed up. Yeah. But I've been doing it out there.
0: Man. That's yeah. great. What what <laughs> great word, man. Thank you for sharing that. I oh mean, man, look, thank you, Paul. Hey, I want to thank you for taking this time out to do this. This means so much to me on a on a, a musical family level from the Petersons to the Nevilles. You know we oh, love Thank you, my you brother. know. Yes. that. same here. We must do a gig before we leave this planet. We must Together, do that. as yes. families. Yeah. We have yeah. to figure that out somehow.
1: Yeah. Why don't we get the Dakota room over there and do something one day?
0: Man, I'm telling you. Why don't we grab that, that room? Happen. People would f- flip why don't out. We do, why don't we try to work on that?
1: I'm going to do that. Why don't, why don't we do it? I'll, I'll bring like a drummer or something. Come on. And then you get a couple of cats and then yep. we could get play,
0: in. pick some songs. I'm hundred percent in. Let's do stuff. Let's do it. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for joining us. This music on the run. That's Ivan Neville, one of the greatest. Thank you, Paul. We will see you in a couple of weeks. Music on the Run was hosted by yours truly, St. Paul Peterson. Edited and produced by my buddy David Razo. Artist relations by Owen Sartori. Video editing by Tanner Montague. And a very special thanks to the people who financially support this podcast. And remember, remain teachable.